Today we're going to do something slightly different. We'll do slightly, something slightly different. Something has been on my heart for a while now, a few months. And it is this idea of being set apart, of being consecrated, being anointed, being chosen, being separate. And this separateness has some comfortable qualities, some comforting qualities, and some uncomfortable qualities. And I suppose, really, one of the things that makes me uncomfortable when I approach this is understanding that we are talking about the dividing power of Jesus Christ. This power to divide is actually part of God's character. If we follow the story going back to the Old Testament, going back to the prophets, And it shoots forward in its trajectory all through the New Testament. And in fact, it is the power of the gospel, this power to divide, and it is life-saving. And it's this dividing power we've got to talk about before we even begin to think about God's saving grace. Before we think about His mercy. And it comes from the most sacred of places, this place of God's holiness. And it is his holiness which is so difficult to grasp. But more than that, and for us, is the underlying question, how do we approach an unapproachable God And yes, he is approachable in Jesus Christ. And yet, he does stand outside the human condition exclusively because he is God. How do we come to terms with his holiness? How often do we fall on our knees in adoration? How often, when confronted by the power of the Holy Spirit, do we fall on our face and worship? How often do we submit? I'm going to link some verses today that we might not normally link together, but I think that they're important because I think they show us a very significant picture, a story of division, a setting apart, a separation. Now, we touched on this briefly when we talked about death and dying for those who were there for that very uplifting talk. (laughs) We got to talk about this stuff, though, don't we? We mentioned this when we talked about death and dying and what Jesus does on the cross to sin and death. And that is a very, very important demonstration of that separation, 
of how Jesus divides us from sin and he divides us from death, eternal death, by doing what he does on the cross. And when he comes down from the cross, death and sin are left on the cross. And that is as true today as it was on the day he died or on the day he was resurrected. We begin in Jeremiah. In chapter 47, Jeremiah prophesies about the sword of the Lord. And this sword has one purpose. It is to separate Israel from her enemies. In this case, the Philistines. But what we need to see about the sword of the Lord, it is different from a human sword created for war. The sword of the Lord divides, it separates the living from the dead. It's life-saving. In this particular case in Jeremiah, the sword goes after nations that have committed themselves to death. What do I mean by that? They are nations who, when they've encountered the living Lord in Israel, have turned their backs on God. And in that place, then, have sought Israel's destruction. Now, what happens when you turn your back on the source of life? What happens when you turn your back on all light and goodness and breath and creation? You encounter the opposite. You encounter death. We often ask the question, and it is a good question, how can a God who loves, how can a God who saves and shows mercy, how can he be the God to enact justice in this way that would kill? What I think Jeremiah is showing us with this sword of the Lord is that there is always a choice to pursue life. But there's also a choice To pursue death. And that is the same choice we face today. As those people faced back then. The Lord still works in mysterious ways. Take the case of King Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah says you are enemy number one. Enemy number one. Sword of the Lord comes for King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Later we find out that. King Nebuchadnezzar has this awesome, insane experience of God. And best I can tell, reading it, he comes to faith. He comes to faith. He comes to believe in the living God. The sword of the Lord is at work in his life. Bringing people to faith. And how often do we see this in the Bible? Enemies saved by God alongside Israel. This is a sword it cuts. Yes, it separates the faithful from the faithless. Yes, but it also somehow gives life. It spares. It rescues. Next example, this time from Job. So leaving Jeremiah for Job. Job chapter 1. 
We already know that destruction is coming Job's way. And in this story, this kind of setting apart is different. Job is set apart. His life is set apart. And it is explicitly about God setting Job apart from the world around him, from his friends. And he's setting him apart for trial, for an extraordinary test. It is impossible to read the story any other way because God sanctions this. If you read the story, he sanctions this trial. He loses family members, servants, livestock. He begins to lose his own health. And yet his faith in God never fails. And God's faith in Job restores him and what he has lost. And I do believe there is another setting apart, a kind of setting apart for trial and temptation and suffering. We are not lost to this when we look at the story of the New Testament. We see this. Jesus talks about this. He talks about the trials we will go through. We see the trials enacted in the book of Acts. We know this. We call this the way of the cross. Life is not easier for Christians. It comes with a calling. But it does come with a joy too. The next is from Nehemiah. Chapter 13, we see Nehemiah grieving over Israel and he grieves over something very specific. He sees in Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, that the people have forgotten about God and in forgetting about him, they are not honoring him. They are not recognizing his holiness. They're not loving him. And as a result, they as a holy people who were set apart by God are choosing not to be holy. They are choosing not to be set apart. They are saying no to God's specialness, His holiness. The temple's been destroyed and people are working on the Sabbath and foreigners are coming in to sell and trade on the Sabbath. And in God's eyes, it is unholy what the Jews would call profane. It is refusing to be set apart. This is why, if you read the Old Testament, why God is so specific about how sacrifices are done. Have you noticed what happens to the blood in a sacrifice? The blood in any sacrifice is meant to be kept separate. It is meant to be kept separate because it is holy, it is life, It is God, God's presence. Everywhere you look, it seems, in the Old Testament, God has built in these reminders. Be separate. Be holy. Practice what it means to be separate, to be set apart. Practice what it means to be special. You are a special people. Apostle Paul comes along and says, this also extends 
to the Gentiles. It also extends to the present day. You are set apart in Jesus Christ. In the same way that God has been setting apart people generation after generation after generation, not all who listen will obey. Right? It's in our nature. Not all who listen will obey. And what does Jesus do? He goes back time and again. Did you get my invitation? I'm just checking. Um, I haven't heard your RSVP. I'm just going to send another invitation. Did you get my invitation to this life of holiness, this separateness? If we were somehow thinking that this is an elite calling with status or rank, we are reminded of the setting apart of Job. That there is a trial that comes with separation. And then there is Joseph in Genesis chapter 49. And we read about how Joseph is set apart from his brothers. Joseph becomes one of the 12 ancient tribes of Israel. And his father tells him, you're set apart. And God would show him the very special way he had done this by saving him from forced captivity. The trial went ahead. The suffering went ahead for Joseph. But what does God do in the face of Joseph's faithfulness? He flips it. He says, I take this trial and I see your faithfulness and I flip it for blessing. And what does he do with Joseph? He puts him in a position of power and power over his brother's The same ones who've sold him out into slavery. They don't recognize him. It's been so long. He's grown up. He's dressed dressed in such fine clothes. And what does Joseph do? He has mercy on them. He shows mercy. Instead of condemning them to death, instead of saying no to their request for food, he sets them apart. The hand of God is working, separating Joseph in the way that he was separated for life, chooses life, chooses mercy. So as I said, the separateness has been weighing on my heart. I've been praying over this the past few months. Jeremiah shows us we are being separated by God in order to live. It's not just so that we'll believe. It's not just about separating believers from unbelievers. It's deeper. It's acknowledging that if we live without God, we are actually enemies of God. Isn't this what Paul says? When we were enemies of God. He doesn't say when some of you were enemies of God. He says when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And not just reconciled, Paul goes on to say, but saved. 
when we were enemies. Jesus reaches in. He saves. Separation means life. Separation means rescue. What does Job show us? He shows us that we are separated for suffering and trial. Certainly not. Certainly not. I was meant for a life of blessing. Come on. <laughs> Luke 29, 23. Jesus looks at his disciples and tells them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. The world will turn against us. Yes, the gospel, yes, will divide us from our friends and sometimes our family. Talking about Jesus will earn you heaps of rejection and criticism. And sometimes that criticism will come from inside the house, not outside. Did you know that? Sometimes the criticism, the kickback we get for saying the name of Jesus doesn't come from outside the church. It comes from inside the church. I'm just, guys, I'm just telling you, this is the way it is. Nehemiah shows us that we are separated by God in order to remember him, in order to remember the story one of the greatest enemies of church is amnesia. We get, I get amnesia all the time. The inability to remember exactly who Jesus is and why he came in my life. And the failure to remember what he instructed us to do, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Remember, back in those sweet days, remember that promise that Jesus put on your heart? Do you remember how sweet it was that day that you encountered the Holy Spirit, that day that you encountered the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you recall the sweetness The sweetness is not the blending in to the world. The sweetness is in the separation. And we don't lord it over, folks, because guess what? It comes with trial. It comes with testing. We stand apart because that's our identity. It's how we remember the age-old story Finally, there's a story from today. Jesus, much to his surprise, finds this thing dangling over his head. He's in a house teaching and preaching and healing and the crowds have come. He's popular. Not for all good reasons, but he's popular. And there he is and there's this thing dangling over his head and he looks up and it's a 
person on a stretcher, suspended in midair. And what has happened? These men, his friends, have come with this paralyzed man. And I just, can you just envision in your head for a moment what it takes to get a paralyzed person onto a roof, presumably from the outside, without the aid of any modern machinery. Potentially a little bit strange looking. Some might walk by and think, why are you molesting that man? He looks in pain. You're carrying him against his will. What are you doing? Bearing in mind, too, that this man who's paralyzed is wanting this to happen. And they go up to the roof. And the NIV says this strange thing. I'm, I'm not huge on this in this translation. It says that they dig out the, the roof. They, they uncover the roof. That's the Greek. They uncover And likely tiles, these heavy tiles. And they're moving the tiles. And you know, you're in this room and you're listening to Jesus. And you look up and you see these. It's coming. God is coming. No, it's just roof tiles are moving. And then you see some heads peer in. Four heads. And they're probably chattering amongst themselves. What do you think? We're kind of maybe to the side. I don't know. What if we drop it? We just drop them on Jesus. Well, I don't know. It's probably the safest thing. We'll just, yeah, we'll just do it kind of near him. It'll be fine. So then they lower, and you know, kind of like, it's got to be simultaneous, doesn't it? You can't like have number one guy suddenly let out a whole lot of slack. That would be bad. So they got to be doing this very carefully. So here comes this, and I'm just imagining Jesus not even breaking his stride. Just talking, preaching right through this. And here comes this man on a stretcher. <laughs> and it, like, I don't even know if anybody receives him. You know, I can just envision that this man is lowered right to the floor. And because he's paralyzed, he doesn't move. And then the ropes drop. Because the guys on the roof aren't going to come down that way. They've they got to go back down the side of the house and then... Is a crowd, right? So it's going to be 10 minutes before they get in. My point is this. There's no dignity in this. All of what I've just described. There's no dignity. It's only shame. There's only shame. This man has no control over how he's perceived, what his clothes are doing, what his limbs are doing. He is at the mercy of everybody around him. Pure desperation. And I think Jesus admires him. And I think he admires these four men. And I think he waits with expectation. And I think he's praying to his father. 
Because the Holy Spirit has brought this man to his feet, to Jesus' feet. When others would presume to eat the crumbs under the table in their entitlement and status and rank, and that's me, that's me. This man is brought in all of his humiliation. He can't control anything that's going on. But do you know where his eyes are? Do you know where his eyes are locked? It's not on the crowds. It's not on the roof tiles. He's got nothing else to lose. His eyes are on Jesus. The one focus in the room. And there are others in the room who are there because of Jesus, but they don't believe in him. Some would in time come to believe. There are others in the room who have all kinds of doubts and questions and all that's fine. But this man, he's come for one reason. He has come to be healed by Jesus Christ. And no one, no roof tile, no rope, no crowd, no house is going to get in his way. And I think Jesus uses this as a teaching point. He says, this is what faith is. But you've got to lose all the other stuff. This is what being separate is. This man already made separate by the world, already humiliated in his lack of dignity. At that time in the world, there was no provision for those who couldn't move, who were disabled. And Jesus uses this man. He says, look at his setting apart. Look at how the world has set him apart. Now watch as I set him apart according to my standard. Stand up. Be forgiven of your sins. And the man does both. He stands up and he is forgiven of his sins. Only because he agreed to be made separate. He let Jesus choose the distinctiveness in his life. Rather than let the world define him, he let Jesus choose how to set him apart. I would contend that he's doing the same to us right now. And the age-old choice is always there. Do I accept Jesus' standard of separateness. Not for rank, not for privilege, not for entitlement. But do I accept his standard of separateness in order to be made whole, in order to know life, in order to be healed, in order to be fully human? Do I accept that separateness? Will I let him do that to me? I don't know about you, but 
I want to say yes. Knowing that it's hard. Because we don't want to be the man on the roof lowered on four ropes on a flimsy stretcher with our clothes and limbs flapping around. But you know what? Maybe we gotta be. Maybe we gotta be.